Hello and welcome back to Softcats Explain It podcast series. This is episode eight of season six and we are motoring towards the end of year like an AI powered electric scooter. And yes, before you ask, they do exist with the UK based tech startup Hilo One. Just Google it, folks. They look awesome. My name is Dean Gardner, Softcats Technology Director. We are here to explain it. Every episode, our team of experts are here to talk tech in simple, jargon-free language, and today is no exception. So the key is in the title, and on that note, I will introduce today's topic. Can I be your co-pilot? In a world where AI is now taking charge in every aspect of our daily lives, Microsoft have recently released the co-pilot AI-driven, all-encompassing saviour of all the ages. Yes, I'm overplaying it because it appears to be everywhere. But what is it? Why do we need it? What are the risks of implementing this technology? And will it change, evolve and revolutionize our everyday working and personal lives? Who knows? That's why we're here. My co-pilots today on this AI-powered rocket ship called Explain It are Alex Pierce, our very own Chief Strategist and MVP, Abby Dakin, Chief Strategist Cyber GRC, and Bradley Howe, our leading Microsoft technologist for Workspace. What a team. Welcome to each of you today. Bradley, let's start with you. What is this Microsoft co-pilot craze? Yeah, absolutely. It hasn't really slowed down, to be honest. Normally with with trends like this, whether it's technological or just whether it's an internet fad, they tend to die down and pretty quickly. Last year, every month we almost had a new trend, but Copilot's been with us since February and it's been going strong. So Microsoft 365 Copilot is probably what everyone's going to be thinking about when we just talk Copilot. Uh, a tool that's going to help people write documents, emails, presentations, uh, that's going to help improve you to be more concise, be more creative, uh, more communicative, help you develop your ideas. Ultimately, a, a lot of us grew up watching AI-related films. We all saw the possibilities. We're waiting for it to go wrong. It's going to be the human versus the AI. And that hype that we've got in front of us is a vast spectrum of emotions. Uh, we've got people who are a healthy amount scared by it. And I'd say that I'm not I'm not against that. It's good to be a little bit scared about these things. We've got people that are excited, very optimistic. Uh, people on completely the other end of the scale, which are not going to let AI anywhere near them or try not to, even though we know that that is a very difficult thing to do now. and. Looking at this from the perspective of, is this just like any other technology? From a change management concept, yes, to be honest. We've got people who advocate this change. We've got people who are a little bit difficult and will want to stay where they are and don't want that change to happen. The big challenge with AI, though, is that this is open-ended. We don't really know if there's going to be an era after AI or a post-AI era. And what we could be looking at here is a new beginning, like we had over a decade ago with 365 and that's just gone on leaps and bounds since then so the craze is is absolutely amazing from what we're seeing and it's not going to slow down anytime soon and anyone listening thinking we know what co-pilot is is probably just thinking about one or two co-pilots let alone how big this world is going to be okay so this is a microsoft technology this is uh an ai engine and there's different versions of it and they're, and, and they're going to be at the fingertips at some point of mo- most or if not all users who use what Microsoft Office. Is that kind of where we're going? Alex, is, Alex, is that where we're going? Microsoft Office. What, and it's going to be embedded in all that sort of stuff. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting that Bradley and I got a bit of a side chat internally at Softcat, and we apparently there's over a hundred different co-pilots announced from a Microsoft point of view. I mean, we've only got up to seventy. Um, we can't actually name all of them. We've struggled. That's anywhere from Word to OneDrive to security co-pilots. It's effectively using a large language model to help you with your productivity on a day-to-day basis. Help you to understand files. Help you to understand logs from that security kind of thing and go and help you out from this productivity side of things to be able to improve the outputs that you can got. So having it write your meetings and notes for you, being able to have it go off and create a business plan for you, or even go and have a slide or slide deck completely created for you is incredibly productive, which means that actually our work can actually can only improve because we spend more time on focus time because the applications are doing more for us. And that's what we've always wanted from Office, from Windows, or any kind of application that we've ever kind of used. Interestingly, I have got Copilot on my Windows 11 OS, which is which is very, very lucky of me, I'd say. And I had an event I had to present at um, the other day and it was five o'clock in the evening the day before and I was like, I haven't done my intro. So I went into Word and I used a Copilot button because it was there and I typed in what the event was, what it was about, the subject matter, and I said, write an introduction for me. And it did. And it created this two-pager introduction of everything that we were presenting that next day with an introduction to the event. Um, and it took about 20 seconds. Now, this brings me on to the magic of it because I don't know where it got that data from. And I was sitting there thinking, well, where did it get all this information from? Obviously, it's a SoftCat tenant. I assume that's, is it tenant-based, this technology? Yeah, well, it's around the the data that you have permission to see in your tenancy. So it's what you have permission to see, Dean. So it looks at the file that you've got open, looks at other emails that you've got, obviously, in your mailbox and things that have been shared with you to actually go off and generate certain information. Of course, these large language models know what an event is, what an introduction is, um, a webinar is, those kind of things. So we can understand, well, actually, I probably need to give you so many words. I need to keep it in this. But I'm going to analyze the current text you've got. I'm going to actually give you what you've asked for in this kind of prompt. That is just one very small example of how you could be using Copilot and all these different AIs within your organization. And Abby, I'm going to bring you in here. So that data piece, where that got that, where it got that information from. Now, I would assume that we've got good policies in place, and obviously we have, to ensure that the data I'm getting and it's presenting to me is correct. It's um, accessible. There's no issues with me accessing that information. Do you see that moving forward and even now becoming a challenge for many organisations? Now, that depends on the maturity of the organisation. This is basic cyber hygiene, isn't it? So an individual account for each individual, making sure we don't have shared access or if uh, when an account is set up, it's mirrored. Can you just copy Bob Mills in this department, please? And then you end up with all their permissions. So that's really basic stuff. If you've done it right from the start, you're going to have no issues. If you didn't, then you're going to need to do a little bit of work to tidy up and make sure that you've got the attestations for the access controls that you need in place every month. And again, things like retention, and that's an information governance basic. Should you have that data? Is it up to date? Is it old? If you're looking at things, um, financial data, maybe from last year, then you don't want people using that information. You need it to be accurate at all times. So yeah, it, it may well be an issue for some organisations, but we can help with that. And the data I'm getting, you know, you said it there, the accuracy and maintaining. 
I mean, a lot of organizations, and I'd be keen to get a conversation with all of you and get your opinions on this. You know, how, how good is an organization's data, truly? Oh, that's a question, isn't it? Now, if you're a data-driven organization, and that makes me giggle because we all are, every organization is data-driven, or it very well could be, then yeah, you should be checking and, and making sure that the integrity of your data is appropriate alongside the confidentiality and the availability of said data. It's in the C, the I, and the A triad. So we understand that accuracy is really important. But how do you check that? There are technical controls you can put in place, integrity checks, file checks, all of that kind of thing, which are really modern technologies. And moving towards a modern data architecture might be something that you want to consider. But to take advantage of this from a real basic standpoint, if you're not ready, then there are definitely some things you need to get lined up and in place to get started and be AI ready. Uh, absolutely. And to, to add to that, Dean, you were just using the example of using your own data to be able to go off and have it write an introductory for you. But we can't have AI giving out information back to the user around which are based on stuff we shouldn't have anymore. It should actually be accurate according to what you should be able to see that is GDPR compliant that is actually accurate towards that time frame and the output that you want. And you'll hear me talking many conferences and other places that I've kind of spoken and talk about its co-pilot. And it's called co-pilot for a reason. It's here to support you in your work and it's not autopilot. It's still the responsibility of the user to be able to go off, read that information, check that they're happy with it, alter it, and then click on send, not just go copy, paste, send. Yeah, I'm going to trust it. And I can give you many examples of where organizations have had data leaks because of that. The user's not checked it. And NDA information has been leaked. You're right, Abby. We have, it's not just about data accuracy, but it is actually also about training and awareness of those users around what AI truly is. And remembering with GDPR, a uh, subject access request can access more easily this data using AI. So yeah, you need to remember and, and guard really what you're recording, what you're keeping, where you're storing it and who's got access to that. Freedom of information requests could get really easy and we don't necessarily want that. And Abby, just on that, so you mentioned GDPR. We, we do have listeners. We do have listeners from around the world. Just explain GDPR in a very short sentence. General data protection. Um, so effectively, it's giving the privacy regime to the UK and the EU. And we're looking after individuals' data as a, as a first point of call. Effectively, the General Data Protection Act gives you control over your data and your privacy. So it gives you rights and freedoms in relation to that data itself. Um, it also asks the organisations protecting that data to have controls in place to ensure it's secure. So with General Data Protection Act, uh, a customer can ask you to stop processing their data. You have to be able to find it in order to prevent that processing. You have to be able to shield that data from somebody who shouldn't have access to it. So if anti-flow down the street can see your uh, data, then that's not appropriate. And we need to make sure that that's not allowed. And there are incidents that relate to uh, inappropriate access as well that we need to be able to review and send off to the ICO. So that's the Information Commissioner's Office, which is the one in the UK. In the EU, though, there are individual uh, regulators across the globe uh, that relate to data and um, privacy. So it's, it's an overarching data protection legislation, and there are layers and layers of individual countries' data protection legislation on the top. 
And, and globally, there's certain countries that don't have that level of protection you described. So it makes it interesting, I guess, because it's the global rollout of a technology by Microsoft. So, yeah. It does apply in wherever the user is from. So your sovereignty. So I'm a resident of England. Therefore, the UK Data Protection Act applies, but so does the General Data Protection Act apply because we accepted it prior to Brexit. It gets quite complicated. But in Germany, there's an additional um, data legislation. In France, it's slightly different. And across the globe where it doesn't apply, we might not want to send our data there. But as EU residents, the General Data Act applies wherever we are in the world. I think we need to do another episode around that subject because that's fascinating. And is that, I mean, Alex and, and Brad, is this the cornerstone of, of ultimately we're putting technology and we all get excited about new technology and AI is a, an incredible buzzword. Co-pilot, as you said, Alex, I think eloquently, it's not an autopilot. It's a, it's a supplement to the, to the user, the digitizing the, the person, if you will, in their working model. All fascinating, exciting stuff gets us, ooh. But ultimately there's this, element that's underneath that's quite scary, I guess, in terms of data, data access, data controls. Uh, absolutely. Um, I, I like to call it the woohoo and the headache. It's uh, that everybody gets excited by this productivity opportunities and what we can go off and we can do within Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Teams, Loop, OneNote, just to name a few of those. But we can't potentially go and have a conversation with our data if our data isn't accurate if it's actually not setting the right regulatory requirements that we've got for our nation. We haven't got our 365 tenancy where, you know, what we might be in multi-geo that our data is still stored inside of a German data centre, as an example, like we have to. Um, and what would be interesting, and we still don't know about some of this around Copilot, is it goes off and it understands, you know what, that bit's from Germany, that one's from New Zealand or US data centre, that it processes the, diff in the, the data the way that it should do to be able to give us that correct answer because to a new user it's just going to be a bunch of text there's a really interesting element of the general data protection act i'm sorry this is really geeky but it refers to unstructured data and prior to 365 and this indexing that we can afford um you could consider your files unstructured with copilot it's semantic indexing. It's intelligent indexing of your data. And therefore, I'm afraid all of that becomes structured data and is therefore applicable to General Data Protection Act. I think it's a point worth making. That's good. And I think maybe something like Purview, Microsoft Purview is a kind of area where we can manage all sorts of data, um, but we've got some like data loss protection in there, but we can also start doing tagging. We can start tagging documents. Is this a draft? Is this a published version? This has got a three-year tag on it. And that's just general technology that support the globe, right, towards what it is. But we have to start looking at this to mature our Microsoft 365 environments to be able to support that ability, to be able to have that conversation with our data accurately and support our user's output because they might read it and go yeah that's not date that's not nda that's all fine i can send it but actually we may not have had that should have had that data in the first place there's a part of this as well that any organization that's got data and every organization has got data it's not a matter of how much data you've got it's what you do with it you could be a small organization with a small amount of data but if you're using it way better than a large organization that's big data you're going to be way better off to take alex's point it's Copilot, not Autopilot. Even though Microsoft 365 Copilot is licensed exactly the same way that we would give a typical Microsoft 365 license, it's just applied to the user. This is where it gets different though, because if I was to license Alex and Abby and yourself, Dean, with Microsoft 365, you'd all get the same application. 
Now, if you want to make it your own, you go into the settings and you change that. Copilot is vastly different. As soon as that license is assigned to you, it's going to start behaving according to that user. And so the idea of being able to say, we've got 68 people that are in a Microsoft 365 security group and all of these permissions apply to them. That whole conversation's got to now be flipped on its head again because everything is about the individual user itself. And if a person in a sales group isn't actually meant to be in there they're going to have access to all of the sales documents and copilot will think that's okay i can actually give you an example of that in which about five six years ago i did a migration for a sixth form college we took their data from their sharepoint environment on-prem and we moved it into the cloud um and i said look let's reset your permissions they were like no no it's all fine i was like I recommend it. It's best practice. Let's reset your permissions. They're like, no, we're happy with the permissions that we got on-prem. We're happy to replicate them in the cloud. Microsoft 365 chat is built on top of the Microsoft Graph. This recommends files. This recommends people based on what you already have permission to see. The students that were studying accounting were recommended files from the finance area that included all the wages of all the staff because permissions were not correct in the first place. That date, that Microsoft graph has been around for a number of years. Now you're putting AI on top of that. So you can go and ask it questions and it's pulling from that automatically. That, that's kind of the power. That's the headache that I was talking about earlier on. And that's my challenge to any organization. Are you confident that your data is actually in the right structure, the right permissions? You're tagging it and are you removing data in the right ways that you could? And there's an opportunity. What else could you put in there in the same way? So... You know, the, the question for organizations from what you're describing is, you know, are they co-pilot ready? It is coming. It is, you know, I think by the time we release this episode, it would have been and it would have been out in or a certain version of it that I think has got the fanfares being released. That right, Bradley Microsoft 365 co-pilot, as you described yeah. earlier. I think that's the that's the one that seems to get, be getting the the PR at the moment. Yep, it's uh, it goes actually GA today, <laughs> which is very exciting. Uh, so. so, so we're recording this on the first of November for the audience because obviously we'll, we'll be we'll be out a, a bit after that. But yeah, yes. So on the first um, of November when we're recording this, Microsoft three six five Copilot went GA uh, for enterprise agreement and the MCA uh, with a minimum seat purchase of three hundred. It's really interesting just to pick up on something that you mentioned there, Dean. I was introduced to this concept by Microsoft um, yesterday of there's a difference between being copilot ready and copilot optimized. It's a really interesting thing that I've never really considered. And how Microsoft define it is if you're copilot ready, it means that you've got Microsoft 365 E3 or E5, you're using the right sort of licensing, you're utilizing Teams, you're utilizing OneDrive, and you've got Outlook for Windows, which is, let's be honest, going to be the new Outlook. And you're using Enter ID. In Microsoft size, that makes you co-pilot ready, which is going to be probably a very large topic of discussion of whether you actually are ready. You're just hitting prerequisites at that point. And yes, you can go and turn on co-pilot. Is it going to work the way that you expect it or is it going to scare you enough that you'll turn it off after five days? That's where Copilot Optimized comes in, and that's where you're looking into your automatic retention policies, your SharePoint site restrictions, your DLP. What are you doing between OneDrive for Business and SharePoint Online? And to everything that Alex and Abby have mentioned, that's where your user permissions for security, your governance of your data, 
your compliance policies and then the risk of of adoption for this all come in we get we get into acronym territory so so i need to explain i guess some of those or get your opinions so mca ea's licensing agreements are director of microsoft correct and obviously if you've got those they're pretty heavy entry points so the type of customer we're talking about at this point fairly large investments in the microsoft stack is that fair yeah so you have to have a minimum seat count of 500 to open up an enterprise agreement but I'll be honest, don't let that stop you. I spoke to an organization on Monday this week. Uh, they're 300 seats. They're going to open up an enterprise agreement. So they're going to pay for 500 licenses, even though they don't need them. So it's a vast upfront investment just to go and get Copilot. And that's a minimum seat purchase of 300. Interesting. Mm, exciting. Do you, do you see the entry point coming down at some point over the next you know, 12 months? Yes, I I'm hesitant to put timelines on it because it's very speculative. But there's two ways that this could happen. One is this rolls out to CSP, which we know that it is coming to CSP. And at that point, that's when the 300 minimum seat count drops. Or Microsoft could stagger it and we have still the 300 seat count. It goes available onto CSP and then at a later date, the 300 seat count comes away. Um, the thing that's blocking... Uh, with that 300 seat count, it makes it very difficult to go and purchase when you've got a business plan because the business plans cap out at 300. So Microsoft are very much focusing on your Microsoft 365 enterprise plan because those typically come with good levels of security that are in there. So trying to promote their security stack through Copilot. And CSP being the, the third agreement in that, right? It's like MCA, EA, CSP. Those are all... My, and, and And we as an organization can help that navigate that complex landscape. Yeah, absolutely. This is the benefit of Softcat having a licensing team, which is a free resource to customers who work with us because through your Softcat account manager, they can loop in a licensing specialist and that licensing specialist won't just cover off what licensing do you need? They're going to recommend your agreement type as well. And we've also got an in-house Azure team uh, who can help support on the MCA front as well with your with your Azure subscription. So Softcat are definitely well positioned for where this market's going. And you've got amazing minds like Alex and Abby that are also being at the forefront of where this is going as well to help us plan for that future. I think it's worth adding why. Why is it only 300 at this moment in time? Uh, but also, how can I get hold of some of this AI technology already? So Microsoft have been very open as like around, this is new technology even for us. We're developing this. We need to mature this. It's an MVP. We need to understand exactly how this is being used. So they want to drip feed it to people to learn themselves. How is generative AI going to be supporting the enterprise? Nobody knows that answer yet because it's still developing. So I think the fact that it's coming out and generally available, but only to limited customers is a good thing because as it starts to go to the masses, we're going to get a way better product when it is ready rather than necessarily anything else. But if you want to go and play with a co-pilot today, we talked about there being over 100. You can get it in Windows 11 already. Um, you can get it um, so it's a panel down the right-hand side, and you can go and change and start using things inside of Windows. You can tell it to go into dark mode. It's contextual, so if you open up Visual Studio Code and you've got GitHub Copilot, you can now actually go off and have it so write code for you. Look at legacy code and tell it to write documentation. Think about the amount of risks that you can take off your risk register just because you can get AI to go off and answer those kind of side of things. So it's incredibly powerful that we've still got 365 Copilot, but we've actually got all these other ones as well. 
that's the most interesting side to this as well. And it goes back to what I talked about when we have that craze is the customer journey into the world of Microsoft artificial intelligence can start with Bing Chat Enterprise. Most organizations will have this. Um, if you don't, again, that's where the Microsoft Softcat licensing team come in. But Bing Chat Enterprise is a great way to get started in all of this. And that's even how Softcat got started. The Copilot that Alex mentioned is Copilot in Windows or Microsoft Copilot, which will roll out in the 23H2. So uh, in the next couple of months, we'll see that update come to Windows 11. And that is Windows 11 only. So if you are still finding yourselves on Windows 10 and you'd like to experience Microsoft Copilot, great time to assess your estate, look into Windows 11. Uh, but there are then the role-based sides to Copilot as well. So Sales Copilot has actually been generally available for a few months now. It used to be Viva Sales, got rebranded Sales Copilot and it's GA. Um, so that's a really big topic of discussion, which Softcat are I'm hoping that we would be leading the way with as well. A lot of organizations will focus on Microsoft 365 Copilot, but Softcat doing things differently will focus on right sizing and that persona mapping as well. Whether you've got Viva Copilot for your HR, whether you've got Sales Copilot for your sellers, for knowledge workers such as all four of us, Microsoft 365 Copilot. There's so many different ways that this can go and getting not only to please a business, your return on your investment, but to also make sure that you're going to experience the best prompts, the best outputs, the best experience of all of this comes to that right sizing as well. So a hundred different types potentially of co-pilot. We're, we're going to quiz you later on, Dean. That's going to wow. be the next episode. We're going to we're going to we're going to sit down. We're going to say, start listing them all, please, Dean. Go. <laughs> we we should. Um, I mean, that in itself, right? With with customers, that's a that's a that's probably an education session because I'm I'm pretty sure. And again, I'm speaking from my perspective. You know, I was aware there was, a, there was versions of. I didn't realize there was that many. So I think it's that education piece, isn't it? That's what this is all about. Um, but let's just move on slightly. So, look, will this replace jobs in the future? Because people talk about AI and efficiency and co-pilot. But is this an efficiency gain where you say, actually, we don't need to do half those jobs anymore and these technologies can take care of those things? I was going to bring it back to the semantic index and how we share that information with our users. So the best use of data is when your human beings know that it's there. If they don't know what they've got access to, they can't do the best job they could. So part of this is a, is a, a human process, you know, that people process technology. We need to communicate with our people to make sure they understood or they understand even what's indexed, what they can get access to, and how then they can best use their prompting skills to get the best output from the systems themselves. A hundred is mind-blowing to me. And figuring out exactly what you've got access to, whether you can help schools with things like which refractory they eat in has an impact on school's output or exam results. That kind of thing is just mind-blowing. It's like seeing into the future. So I think that's really important and certainly something we need to mention. Yeah, absolutely. To to segue that into, is it going to replace jobs? It's a co-pilot. You still need a human. I know that there are a few news outlets rather that in the recent weeks have posted, Microsoft's new AI tool can go to meetings for you. Okay, it's bending the truth a little bit. It sort of can, but it also won't then be you. Any of your ideas, any pushback or any conversations you'd like to have, it's not going to do that. It will help you catch up. So if I'm double booked now, technically speaking, I've got Copilot, so I don't have to try and rearrange my diary. I can say, 
I'm in another meeting, but I'm not really needed. I'm an optional attendee on this one. So Copilot can summarize any actions that will come to me. You can summarize all of the meeting notes. And so it's like as if I was there because my experience is the same as anyone else who did join that meeting. Is it going to go to that meeting actually for you and be you? No. It, will it replace jobs? It's a really interesting question. And put it this way, organizations that are ditching 80% of their humans and replacing it with AI is making national headline news. And I don't believe that those are organizations that will be winning the best workplace awards anytime soon. The big part of AI is likely to be reducing the asks on headcount. So internally, we've got a bid process and we always need bigger headcount in teams like that because we're always looking to develop and grow and change how we collaborate and how we communicate and better ourselves. When I had that question posed to me by the director of that team, I said, you probably just won't find yourself going to the business and saying, we need 20 more heads because AI and Copilot has helped your existing headcount become more efficient, become stronger, become better at collaborating. And that's probably what we're going to see most. On the flip side, it will replace jobs on the basis of jobs will just evolve and jobs will change. We'll likely see new jobs arriving as well, whether that's a, a prompt engineer or a prompt expert within an organization, um, whether you would have a brand new data role as well of someone who's going to focus on that data. We've talked about automatic retention, but Microsoft changed the game all the time. If you have a retention policy that says any data that's older than two years will put into an archive, Microsoft could come along, change something within a year, and your retention policy isn't gonna pick it up for another 12 months. There's loads of possibilities and potentials here, but I think the thing to remember on this is roles even like mine and roles like I'm sure that people on this call and people who are listening to didn't exist X number of years ago. Our jobs have evolved. Our jobs have been created because there's a necessity for it. And that was driving before AI was in our hands. AI might speed that process up, but it's not a new process to us. It's just become a little bit more apparent. I think if we take two roles as an example, one of the things we pride ourselves at Softcat is the relationship we have with a customer. You can't replace AI to do that for us. It's about building relationship and understanding your organization and how we can support you in that. I don't want AI to replace that. If I was the customer, I want to be able to pick up the phone and be able to speak to somebody. But let's look at kind of who are the people that most likely are going to get co-pilot licenses. And it may well be administrators that help to be able to create documents, take minutes, all of a sudden, you're, you don't need your executive assistant to join a call to take minutes. You can actually ask AI to do it. So actually, you can empower them to go off and do other things so they can be more productive for you. That's the way to look at it is how can AI enhance your productivity and support those people more than necessarily anything else? GitHub Copilot is a great example of that because GitHub Copilot has access to that open source library thousands if not millions of lines of code and where you had a developer having to start a new program and write lines of code that are already in existence they could use github copilot to find 90 percent of the lines of code that they needed for their program and they could then dedicate 100 percent of their time to writing that brand new 10 percent so in terms of trying to drive innovation we've just been handed a tool that is going to enable the human to become a lot more innovative, not giving them AI, and the AI is going to be the innovator, the human is. I have some really doom and gloom things to say on the back of that. 
and oh, no. I, <laughs> really, <laughs> when we talk about computers attending meetings for us, we then need to put guardrails in place as to who has access to those meeting notes and the outputs from those and how they are requestable through the UK and the EU's legislation. So considering a meeting that is recorded or annotated by AI and understanding if somebody's not there and then conversation occurs about them, those things could really get a company into hot water. So it's an understanding from the users also that what is happening is is automating the data retrieval from conversations, videos, emails, and pretty much a hundred use cases of, as we've discussed. I don't want everyone to be terrified. I would just like us all to understand that. So um, last question, is AI, because AI is a quite a broad, we talked at Microsoft today, but AI is a massive subject. Um, as I understand it, people can build their own co-pilots on, you know, in their own environments without potentially using Microsoft, but we're talking about Microsoft Copilot. So is AI overall, is it a technology space race not, that's not in space that Microsoft is potentially winning at this stage? Oh, let me, let me go first. Because in the workplace, yeah, I would just go flat out, yes. But from a, a holistic standpoint, maybe not so much. More people will access Microsoft in their day-to-day life than any other LLM or large language model or any AI uh, in their day-to-day life, apart from things like Siri, so Alexa, and those AIs. But in a workspace, it's a flat-out yes from me. I can only agree. AI, as you're saying, Dean, is a general broad sense. There's a consumer best kind of set of things with chat GPT. Um, that brings challenges to an enterprise because you don't want pe- enterprises to be using that because it's a consumer-based thing. And talked about data and data leakage. We don't want those kind of side of things. Are Microsoft leading? Yeah. Will they always lead? Personally, yes. Maybe I'm slightly biased being a Microsoft MVP saying that. But it's only because they own the productivity space. They own the office space, they own the OS space, all those kind of things. So, of course, they're going to lead in that kind of way. But it's how you might go and innovate with something like OpenAI on Azure and you organize the organization from that point of view and how you consume that. You've got Llama 2 being added to Azure as well. So all of a sudden you go, well, actually, it's not just necessarily about Microsoft. Yeah, you hosted it on Microsoft, but you trust Microsoft if you're using 365. So can you go off and can you use these different forms of AI in all your application spaces, because you should be thinking about it in that point of view. It is a really, really good good question. Are they leading? Because if you look at it from a hype basis, I don't think anyone else would be aware of many AIs. I mean, Microsoft are so good at leading it that not many organizations or people are aware that there's more than just Microsoft 365 Copilot. So they've even done a good job to hide their own Copilots, um, as even we've mentioned over 100 of them. I think the thing to be aware of is Microsoft have, and you could probably piece this throughout their history if they've always ended up doing something like this. When Microsoft Teams came along, we had already in our consumer and in our personal lives back when they weren't so blurred, were talking in an instant messaging way, in an instant messaging platform. And then we'd come to work and we had to speak very professionally. And a lot of things was email based, not a lot was instant messaging. And while supercharged by COVID, Teams came along and we started sending GIFs, we started sending emojis, we lowered our professional tone ever so slightly. And that's probably been a kickstart because of how we changed our behavior in our personal lives. Microsoft Copilot being built into every edition of Windows, Windows 11. So 
if you are an organization that doesn't have it adopted, but you've got users in your company that are going home using Microsoft Copilot through and through on their personal devices, you will end up having people come to work and go, it's like stepping five years back in time. And we had that exact same conversation with Teams and look at where it is today. Yeah, it's a valid point, isn't it? Microsoft Teams is in most user hands that use a a Microsoft device. It's kind of common there, isn't it? It's, we're, yeah. we're up to 320 million monthly active users on Microsoft Teams, which is incredible. Uh, who'd have thought that best practice advice, go and get the mobile app, go and download it and have it on there. And that's, you know, we, we say that so easily, but we're not even considering, do you even have a BYOD policy set up? Do you have Microsoft Intune? Do you have your devices joins to a domain there's that whole world of security that we sort of forget about when we go we just just download the device and or download the, the application on your device and it's there and it's easy and if you're away from your laptop and these are dependencies we should have as well yes you know what i mean for everything from an ai point of view we should still be securing the device the endpoint and it's not a matter of just going yeah ai no Put all these other compliancy stuff that's in place. What your insurance company is saying, your auditor saying, your local government kind of requirements, all that kind of side of things. You were looking for driver for change, then this is the ideal one, isn't it? It's it's a really easy internal business case to demonstrate value, to put those security basics, the hygiene that you need to have in place to, to really turn it on and optimise, as Bradley said. It should be a really easy sell. So thank you all for joining us today. And as always, thank you to our audience for listening. Please remember, we like to hear from you. So why don't you leave us a review? It goes a long way to help us make this better. Yep, for you. We will be back soon with another episode of Explain It. So keep listening. Listening.